Our next retreat is finally here. It's called Adventures in Energetics, and it's happening November 8th to the 14th, 2024 in Boquete, Panama. This seven-day, six-night retreat in the beautiful cloud forest of Panama is going to be a unique experience. This program is a not-for-beginners retreat. And what I mean by that is you will actually have to fill out an application before you will be accepted to be able to register for the program because we are going to be doing more advanced level energetics and I need to make sure that everybody who comes is actually ready for the work. We will be doing a Kundalini awakening. We will be doing group visioning process called a spiritual canoe. We will be doing daily presence practices and working on expanding our energy. We will be doing daily rituals. This process will be related to specifically the people who are there because in addition to filling out the questionnaire about what your experience is, you're also gonna ask for what it is that you'd like to learn. So part of the curriculum for this is set and part of it will be designed around the desires of the participants. I only have 20 beds available for this retreat, so it will fill up quickly. So this is the time to register. Do not wait. To find out more, go to kellysparta.com forward slash retreat. I look forward to seeing you there. Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face and still another hundred miles to my next resting place. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car I'm all Feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hey now all, I'm Joey C. Welcome back to another episode of Spirit Chirpa. This is the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. With me as always is the spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta. Hey Kelly. Hey Joey. How's it going? I'm excited. Oh, and you're up in your soprano voice again. So, ah. hey, Kathy. <laughs> Hi, Joey. Yes, you always know when <laughs> Kelly's in the high ranges, I must be somewhere near. Indeed. Actually, I don't really want to know why that happens. <laughs> I'm excited. Oh, She's okay. excited. Excited is good. I miss my friend. <laughs> I do too. So we are back here and we are talking again a little bit more mythology, but I think we're sliding a little bit out of the the same construct we had in the last couple episodes with regards to uh primarily staying in the greco-roman mythological space we're adding we're adding a little bit of a twist into it here we're talking counterculture well we're talking bucking the the current trend right yep. magic is by definition a stepping out of traditional structures mm-hmm if you stay within the traditional structures, you're not going to do magic. There's a bit of counterculture just to the very nature of magic unto itself. And then when you start stepping into some of these mythologies uh, and some of these practices, then you start to get even more uh, far afield. Okay. okay? So I, I'd like to start with talking about Heoka. And the reason I want to start there is because it is mythological uh not it's not actually it's not mythological let me just say that it is not mythological heoka is a um term used in native american culture to refer to someone who does everything in a way that is counter to 
the norm. Okay. And so the uh, traditional symbology is Heoka rides backwards on their horse into battle. They challenge the status quo. They, they ask you to see things differently. They may be transgender. They may be contrary. They may be a little off. Instead of being seen as annoying, like we would in our culture, they're being seen as providing a new perspective. Mm-hmm. And so if you think of the person who is really not of this world, <laughs> and everybody knows somebody who's sort of like not quite all what we would normally experience as normal, they would be considered in some cases, Heoka. The benefit of the Heoka is to really challenge you, right? Because it's so easy in our day-to-day lives to get caught up in the norm. Mm-hmm. There's so much of our lives that we do by default. It's, oh, I'm going to get up and I'm going to brush my teeth and I'm going to do my hair and I'm going to take my shower, not in that order. And then I'm going to you know, get dressed and go to work and do the same thing every day right? Yeah. We get to the point where we don't even question it. And one of the core tenets when you're doing transformational work is at a certain point, you have to start to question your assumptions. And these rituals and these these structures that we have in place, that these are the norms for us, they become our assumptions about life. And the Heoka helps us to question those assumptions, You know, why is the sky blue? Why do you brush your teeth? Why do you, you know, do things in that way? And the, you know, one of the classic sort of mundane examples is I always cut the ends off of my roast and not me, but the story goes that way. I always cut the ends off my roast. And, and one day her daughter said, well, why do you cut the ends off your roast? And she said, well, because my mom always cut the ends off the roast and that's how you're supposed to do it. And her mom looks at her and goes, I cut the ends off the roast because the pot was too small to fit them. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, you got a bigger fan. It's fine. (laughs) And it's like, Oh, I never asked why it was done that way. So those of us who go through the world going, why, 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 which is annoying as crap. I used to drive my mother nuts because all I did was ask why. But those of us who go through life asking why get more perspective on life. That's the traditional role of the Heoka is to, to question things and to make you re- reassess where you sit. So um, <laughs> you want to talk about the man, the myth? So... One very um, notorious, I guess would be a good word for him, counterculture individual was Aleister Crowley. And, uh, you know, I know it's Crowley rhymes with holy was the way I was taught that. Um, But he was born sort of in the middle of the Victorian era. So he was raised with very established Victorian practices where every, you want to talk about stuck in a rut. I mean, these people had a rule for everything. (laughs) They sent messages to each other by the types of flowers that they put in the bundles kind of thing. I mean, it was such a structured, strict society. And he was essentially seeking transformation. He wanted to break out of all that. So if you're trying to break through or break out of the structures that you have have been imposed on you, what do you do? You go counterculture. 
And that's exactly what he did. So, you know, we're, we're very strict. We're very proper. We're very regimented. So what did he do? Recreational drug use, bisexuality, having lots of sex with lots of people, forget marriage. I think at one point somebody called him the wickedest man in the world. <laughs> um, and he's also been referred to as the great beast. But you have to take that in context of he was trying to break out of what had been imposed on him by Victorian culture in England to see what was on the other side, because that rut was particularly deep. And so he was after breakthroughs, and he went after it by going completely counterculture. Everything that the culture said was had to be done this way, he was doing in a completely different way. And he did have um, a number of breakthroughs, and he is responsible for um, an entirely new approach or practice form of magic called Thelema or Thelema, however you want to pronounce that, um, that a number of people are still following. There are tenets of that that, you know, I use from day to day in terms of uh, one of them is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, which is doing your will or your purpose, living your purpose in the world is what you're here for. That's your law. Which and the is other in one I- stark contrast to and it harm none, do what thou, what thou wilt, which is the, the Wiccan red. Yep. Um, and the other one I like really well that I pulled out of that was um, love is the law, love under will, which means that that purpose that you're living, that will that you're living is anchored foundationally in love. Hmm. And that um, if you're acting through will or through purpose without love, then it isn't, it isn't part of the, that structure. So despite the fact that he was you know, running rampant as far as Victorian society was concerned, and the wickedest man in the world and all the rest of that, what he brought into being was some truly amazing things by using those counter-cultural techniques to break out of it and move into transformational space and have realizations, enlightenments. Um, you know, he was gifted with downloads, if you want to call that, things that he wrote um, that, you know, he wrote down as uh, channeled material. I don't know if he used the word channeled or not, but basically um, he really did do something very profound. Um, and he got there by breaking out of those structures. The problem with this is that if your context is Victorian England, then that's counter doing what he did is counterculture. Today, you know, okay, drug use, that's not, ex- I mean, it's not exactly, you know, yay, everybody should be doing it, but it's certainly not the same kind of <gasps> horrible thing that it was in Victorian times or right. bisexuality. Again, um, not necessarily accepted in all parts, but certainly not the the shock value, the the huge breaking forth in the counterculture that was um, Victorian England. Right. So the challenge then becomes, what's counterculture today? You know, how do you break out of a rut today? Right. And what happens a lot right now is people who are his followers are repeating what he did, which isn't what what his purpose was. He'd be looking at them, kicking them, going, "What the hell are you doing?" don't follow what I did. You're supposed to find your own path. That's the whole point. Right. Right. And so this is what happens when spirituality gets turned into religion is things that are meant to be fluid, get codified and get entrenched and then they get misunderstood. Okay. And so it becomes, Oh, well you have to do this. And it's like, well, no, it's not what you have to do. Especially when you're, 
master, your quote unquote master, is so far ahead of common culture that he isn't really fully understood, he or she, but mostly he, and at least the ones that we know of. Um, And so it gets interpreted by modern day, you know, by current day cultural standards and then misinterpreted and then, you know, put into place in in ways that are not helpful. I, I have long said that if Christ came back for his second coming, he would overthrow the church because he'd be pissed, right? <laughs> you, know? you know, that's what happens is when you have things and you take them out of context. It's like we talked about Siddhartha turning into the Buddha and coming from that place of having had wealth and having had a sense of self and the sense of a solid sense of being uh, safe in, and, you know, taken care of. And, and that Buddhism comes out of the assumption of, you know, what a wealthy person has come from. Right. And that doesn't always apply to people coming from different places. So we've talked about Crowley and we've talked about the construct of the Hayoka in terms of the counter non-standard person. It seems to me when we look at the people who have, I guess, made a difference or stepped into those roles of of those leaders, they've almost always been counterculture for their time. You know, Kathy, you talked about looking in the in the time period for Crowley. It seems like every time somebody is is creating a new group, they're often doing it because they're breaking out of what was the norm. And then to your point, Kelly, people start to follow just what they did as opposed to the full scale of the message that they were trying to lead, which is when things sort of often go off the rails because you're trying to follow a book that was written thousands of years ago. Well, I think in a lot of ways, the... um there's also another challenge, which is, especially in our culture, but this has been true for thousands of years, the average person is taught to be a follower. Right. You know, we're trained from a very young age to do what we're told, to shut up and fly right and do, you know, follow the rules and whatever. And that makes us easy to control. And it makes it easy to manage society when people follow the rules. But it makes it hard to be a magician. Right because you're not questioning the rules. So in the 60s where, you know, question authority was was one of the watchwords, right? That became a little bit more present to the baby boomers. But at the same time as they were screaming question authority, the educational institutions were slowly rolling back critical thinking classes. And so you used to get critical thinking in middle school and high school, and then it became only high school and college, and then it became only college. And then they've removed it as a requirement out of the college curriculum. And so now it's just if you know to take the class. And that's been the that's been a, a portion of the dumbing down of America. And the dumbing down of America is also, if if you have not read or heard the book on Audible, Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill, it's, he he came, they published this book that was written in the 30s in 2012. And um, if you haven't read it, you need to, because TV is creating what he was afraid of. TV, internet, 
Facebook, you know, these things are creating this drifting that he's talking about. And it is so seductive to be able to just drift through life and not do anything to just fill your time rather than be fully expressed in your beingness. That's one of the primary ways in which we are controlled in the world is by not engaging our minds and ourselves on a regular basis. You know, there are commercials on TV that make no sense that will say things that are internally inconsistent and nobody catches them because they're only half paying attention and they're just picking up. And if you listen to the political rhetoric that's happening right now, I was on MSNBC today and there was, um, can't remember who was talking, but somebody was talking and she repeated, she was supporting Elizabeth Warren and she was repeating the same phrases over and over and over again throughout her answers because it was the, here's what I want you to remember, and I'm just going to repeat it because I know you're only half paying attention. Right. And so the same phrase over and over and over again. And this is what's happening. We are being programmed because we're not paying attention. And when you start to pay attention, one, you recognize that you're being programmed. <laughs> and two, you also start to engage your brain and question whether or not what you're being told is true. Which is what counterculture is today. Right. right. Because the culture is to um, derive followers, take away individual will, create essentially the, the masses in a way that you know, divide and conquer in a certain kind of way is is just dumb us down until there's nobody left to really step up. Right. And that if you want to go counterculture today, then it's to wake up. It's to do transformational work. It's to explore critical thinking. It's to begin to question. It's to be that little kid again that runs around and goes, why? Right. Um, it is to really bring yourself counterculturally into a questioning frame that says, I'm not going to take and, and just absorb or be unconscious about everything that's being thrown at me. I'm going to really step back and decide, look at this and make informed decisions about who I am, what I am, and how I want to be in the world. And this isn't a new way of teaching people to think. I mean, this is Socrates. This yeah. goes back to basically the beginning of recorded time when people were saying, question everything. It's that whole way, you know, make your own decisions don't necessarily follow what you've been programmed with. Right. And, you know, we're seeing the, the value in this in the people referring to themselves as disruptors. Mm -hmm. That's a classic stepping out of the thing. But there's a way in which you have to be careful too, because you don't want to just rebel against what's there. Because when you're rebelling against something, you're still being controlled by it. You're just you know, doing the opposite. That's a great point. That's something that a lot of those disruptors, a lot of those people who are rebelling against something are simply doing it to do the opposite of what they are told, as opposed to doing it to actually drive forward something that they believe in one way or the other. Right. And so, you know, it's harder. It's harder to come up with your own path, yeah. but it's also freeing and it's also intimidating 
because now you have too many options. I, I see this a lot in my students when they, when they finally realize that they have the absolute control over their lives and they, they can choose anything they want. They all just like vapor lock for a minute. <laughs> they go, oh, what? And, you know, it's because you suddenly get that your life is not nearly as limited as you believed it to be. And that's true whether you're talking about what you could become in the world, how powerful you are magically, how much money you make, where you live, what you do, who you're partnered with, how you're perceived. You know, all of these things are much broader in scope than what you believe them to be. And we just buy into the same story over and over again. And we do so for a lot of reasons. I mean, mostly out of fear, right? Right. We don't want to be shunned by our community. You know, it's like, oh, I can't be shunned. I might die. "Ah, Are you actually going to die if you're shunned by your community? Probably not. A lot of other places do a lot of other things to do, a lot of other communities that you could find. There's a lot of fear around not fitting in. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's reinforced in high school and junior high and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's really entrenched in our beingness through that structure that creates that dynamic, you know, kids are mean, kids are really mean. Well, and there's a lot of people who are walking this path right now who are from a generation where walking this path is effectively counterculture. Now, one of the things that I'm I'm finding personally as I talk to more people is that this is becoming more a norm path. It's becoming more of a standard path for some people to walk. It's not as counterculture as it may have been. Certainly my generation, a lot of the people like, whoa, that's a little woo-woo. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. But more and more of the younger generation are considering this to be a standard path to walk, which I think is is great for all of us. For me, the challenge is don't worship the technology. If you look at a spiritual path, um, if you consider, you know, we, we live in a technological age, particularly in the Western world. Yeah. And if you look at those spiritual paths as spiritual technologies, it's entirely possible to worship the technology instead of what the technology is designed to do for you. Mm-hmm. Because it's easier to, okay, I know how this works, and I can just immerse myself in this, versus, oh, now I have to apply this, I have to do this, I have to take these steps, I have to keep moving in this process. Right. So for me, it becomes to, the worship of the spiritual technologies is where you get into religion. And religion isn't necessarily just the big names you want to throw at it, Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, Judaism, it's not just that. Right. It's there are all different kinds of religions because a religion is when you take something as as fact as structure as this is the only way it can be it becomes ossified it becomes rigid and it in becoming rigid then the only way out of it is to go into that more flexible counterculture kind of thing and say wait a minute what was this designed for right what was the intention of this you know, in in anything, what was the purpose of this? And how do I get back on the path to that purpose? Right. Right. So if you're a practicing Christian, really go back and try and find the books that were taken out of the Bible. Go back and read the Gnostic scriptures, you know, and, and the 
you know, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and all of the things that, that were pulled out in the Council of Nicaea in 1000 and see what the original path was because a thousand years after Christ, they rewrote it. <laughs> it's like, okay, so, and, and you always know that, that that's what's, what's happening is people are rewriting it for their own means, their own purposes. The actual original books were written hundreds of years after Correct. the man walked the earth, right? So. Right. It seems like there's even more opportunity if you're considering it a, a personal path to sit with the energy of the the teachings themselves and see what they do for you as opposed to the words that someone else is trying to dictate for you. And that, I guess, is one of the big differences we see when we hear people talk about religion versus spirituality. They often refer to spirituality as a wishy-washy, make-up-your-own-religion kind of religion. But what it is is an opportunity to see how these particular teachings resonate with you and what you take from them. And I think that there's stuff to do there for all of Absolutely. Us. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. You know, the thing that you want to pay attention to is to be aware if you're walking a path that is a religion, pay attention to your body and where your body goes, eh, ick, oof, ugh. That's where you need to start questioning because that's where it's out of alignment with what's true for you. And that's, the, you know, whether it's a religion or whether it's a practice that you're doing with somebody else, if you're taking a class from somebody, you know, pay attention to your body. I did a coaching program, a, a, you know, a, late, a year ago where there was just all the words were right, but my body kept going, eh, eh, ugh. And it took me a while to figure out where it was coming from. And as it turns out, every time my body was like, it was because the, the space had suddenly become unsafe. And I couldn't put my finger on it until I sat with it for weeks. Hmm. And I teach this stuff. And so I was like, oh, I can't even imagine what this is like for somebody who doesn't teach this stuff to be with this, right? right? Because ultimately I opted out because the space was unsafe and you can't grow in a space that is unsafe. You know, every coach has a moment where they screw up, you know, <laughs> and then so, you know, it's like one, one screw up is, is not a big deal, but, you know, a consistent level of, you know, uh, lack of safety is like, hmm, okay, this is not a therapeutic environment. You know, that's the sort of thing where you really want to start paying attention is where is it that you go, oomph. Or where you giggle like I did when they said we do not believe in dogma when they dogmatically read that, right? <laughs> where we talked about that. Yeah. But, um, you know, you, you just need to pay attention to what your body is telling you because your body knows before your mind does. I think the thing that brings it again back to counterculture is that paying attention to your body is the first step, not being afraid to take action from what yeah. you've learned is what makes it counterculture. Right. Because if, if your body's telling you one thing and the culture is saying, eh, eh, no, no, stay in line, stay in the rut, behave, whatever, um, don't leave the program, you know, whatever, um, that you've got to trust you and you've got to 
be willing to take that step that says, I can step beyond this. I don't have to stay in this rut. I don't have to stay in this program if I feel unsafe. I don't. And not only I don't have to, but I'm not going to. And you take a step out of it. And that's right. our counterculture is to listen to ourselves and then move into what we need to do in spite of the fear, because change is always scary. Um, but we feed the fear if we stay still and go, oh, no, I'm too afraid, I'm too afraid, and the fear just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. So if we take action in spite of the fear, we get into a different pattern of saying, yep, I can do this. You know, I may be afraid, but yep, I can do this. Friends of mine owned a swingers club, and they were transitioning ownership to a new set of owners. And I had worked for the club off and on as a bartender. And I showed up just for the transition, right? I wasn't on staff that night. I just wanted to wish the old people well and meet the new people and wish them well. And, you know, we were just going to pop in and pop out. And a friend of mine came with me. And normally this space is incredibly safe because they have strict rules about who can come and who can't come and what the rules are and so on and so forth. And you have to come to orientation to learn about the rules so that you don't break them. Well, this was a night where nobody was really sure who was in charge because it was a transition. And so somebody got in who was drunk and he started grabbing women. And I was there and my friend was standing next to me and he kept inserting himself between me and this guy as he tried to go, Oh, hi, how are you? And like trying to manhandle me. And my friend kept stepping in between me and him. And eventually, you know, he wandered off. And so I'm standing there a little bit later. I'm standing with my, my feet about, you know, shoulder width apart and I'm talking in a circle of people. And I feel this hand snake in from behind and grab me in my genitals. I rolled around with my hand up and I'm like, I am going to hit whoever just did this because I feel violated. Right. And I turned around and I went wham and I'm full flat hand into his chest, loud noise stopped everything in the room. And this is where women have a hard time because it's like, oh my God, you're going to make a scene. You can't make a scene. I'm like, I'm making a fucking scene. And I just started yelling at him. And I was like, who the fuck do you think you are? And I just, I determined in my head in that split second that I was just going to yell at him until I no longer felt violated. And in the course of yelling at him, I laid out exactly every single rule that he had violated every single thing that he had done wrong, everything. And he's just like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like, you better fucking be sorry. You fucking dude. <laughs> it's just like, I was so mad. And, and I proceeded to dress him down and, and explain in great detail exactly what had happened. And I got to the end and I was still feeling violated. And so I went, and if I find out you did this to anybody else, I'm going to grind you into a paste and shove you down your own throat. I was so mad. And I was just like the rage and the wrath of Kelly came out. And, and he's, he's just like, ah. now, why did I tell this story? Well, the reason I told the story is because, you know, shortly thereafter, now, my, the outgoing owners were pissed at me. The, the woman owner was like, why did you make a scene? And she was upset with me. The incoming owners walked up and said, 
nice, nicely done. Want a job? <laughs> I was like, I just made a huge scene in the middle of your club. And he's like, yeah. And you educated everyone in the room in such a beautiful fashion as you did it. It was fantastic. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And, and it's because he understood the culture of his own club that he was bringing in. And it's in, in the swinger community, the women make the rules and that's just the nature of the beast. And otherwise the women wouldn't be there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so the, the thing that was so very interesting is that we're here in this counterculture environment, right? This was the early 2000s, maybe even 1999 timeframe, um, back when CSI just introduced Lady Heather, right? It was like, you did not talk about this stuff. The BDSM scene was very closeted. And uh, the reason I had gone in the first place was because it scared me and I didn't want to be owned by it. Right. And so, but the reason that I I'm bringing it up now is because I had five different women walk up to me and say, Oh my God, thank you so much for getting him thrown out because I've been trying to keep my husband from killing him because he grabbed me here. He grabbed me there. He did this. He said that, and they didn't say a word. And in fact, they stopped their husbands from saying something. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, this is not okay. You know, this, you're, you're setting the boundaries here. You're setting the, the thing. And they were like, well, I didn't, you know, I was dressed like this. And I'm like, I could have been stark naked in front of this man. And if he had done that, I still would have had the same conversation. You know, we still would have been like right up in there. And I'd have been like, bang on him, you know? And that's the thing is that we, we bring our previous context with us into the counterculture dynamic. They brought the dynamic that said, don't make a scene, be a good girl into the counterculture environment. And that limited their experience and limited their ability to be powerful in that space. You see what I'm saying there? Yeah. So they were in a countercultural environment in which it was... Um, sanctioned for them to be powerful. Right. And yet they had not truly embraced what that premise or that context was because they were bringing with them their ruts that right. they were stuck in right. from outside instead of being truly powerful in a space that not only um, allowed for it, but encouraged it. Right. Yeah, exactly. So again, putting aside a fear. Yep. I'm sure their bodies were telling them clearly, this is not okay. And yet the fear did not allow them to step into the powerful state that they were literally being welcomed into. Still ruled by those societal norms that forced them from actually stepping into their power in that space. Exactly. Which they were encouraged to. Interesting. Yeah. And this is what happens culturally, right? We, we walk into new environments and we bring our old stuff with us. You know, and, and particularly abusers and bullies and and people who are going to do things that are not okay will take advantage of those. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said. I mean, we're seeing a lot of counterculture stuff happening in our culture right now. The Me Too movement, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement. The, there's a lot of counterculture stuff that is designed to try and transform culture happening. It comes and goes in our culture. You know, the 80s didn't have a lot. <laughs> the 80s were, you know, 
you know, you, you, you have bits and pieces, you know, you, you had some counterculture in the music in the eighties and things like that, but it's when we question the status quo that we grow. And as people focused on transformational magic, that's sort of core to the work. And I think that that is a wonderful way to sum up what we've been talking about here today. Kathy, was there anything you wanted to add before we wrap up? I just think that the biggest challenge of of truly embracing transformation is overcoming fear. That was what Crowley was doing. That's what Hayoka is doing, is giving people a different perspective, sometimes in a way that isn't scary, but that when fear rises up, it becomes important to look at what's going on because it's a doorway to a new opportunity. Yeah. There's a lot of courage needed to step through that doorway sometimes. And that's that's yeah. a big part of what we need to we need to remember. All right, folks. Well, that is all that we have for this week. But be sure to join us next time as Kelly adds another chapter into your guide to energy, magic, and the spirit world. I'm Joey C. here with Kelly Sparta and Kathy Shiron. And you have been listening to Spirit Sherpa. So long, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. I travel over 13,000 now. I leave behind a little Spirit Trippa is the sole property of Kelly Sparta Enterprises and is distributed under Creative Commons BY-NC-ND 4.0 license. For more information about this licensing, please go to creativecommons.org. Any requests for deviations to this licensing should be sent to K-E-L-L-E at K-E-L-L-E-S-P-A-R-T-A dot com. That's Kelly at kellysparta.com. To sign up or to get more information on the programs, offerings, and services referenced in this episode, please go to kellysparta.com. This episode of Spirit Trippa has been produced by Honu Voice Productions. And my love and my life and me. Are you waking up to the spiritual world and realizing that you have no idea what you're doing, but you feel like you kind of probably should, especially since you seem to be seeing things and feeling things and having things see you that maybe aren't so great and that you might want to actually control your experience of that. Well, I have great news for you because our Welcome to the Woo program does just that for you. It teaches you how to hold your energy field, manage your energy field, clear your energy field, protect your energy field, and learn how to protect your space. And you learn how to do basic divination and talk to your guides so that you feel like you actually have a clue and have a way to talk to the guides that will help you to figure everything else out. And it teaches you how to make sure that you feel mentally, emotionally, and energetically safe. That means that we also deal with things like fear and anxiety and worry and dread and self-doubt and inner and outer judgments. And we help you build a foundation of self-support and courage. All of these things together create a solid sense of safety in your own life. They will reduce your stress levels in half, guaranteed. So visit the website at kellysparta.com and find out more about the Welcome to the Woo program. Your future awaits.